Serial killer Charles Lee Ray is on the run from the cops following a failed robbery. After his getaway driver takes off without him, Charles breaks into a toy store where he is fatally shot by Mike Norris, the cop pursuing him. Knowing he's about to die, Charles uses a Haitian voodoo spell to transfer his soul into the only thing he can find, a good guy doll, an animatronic toy about the size of a small child. The power of Charles's magic summons a bolt of lightning that strikes the toy store and blows it up. Mike Norris survives the blast and stumbles upon Charles's dead body. Little does he know, the spell was a success, and Charles Lee Ray lives again in the form of the three-foot-tall murder machine known as Chucky. This Friday, another gem of the 80s will be ripped to shreds and sewn back together for a modern audience like Mom's old prom dress. So I figured this was as good a time as any to revisit 1988's Child's Play, an 80s classic that launched a multimedia franchise including six sequels, comic books, and toys. Fuck that. It turned Chucky into a horror icon on par with Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, and Michael Myers. In fact, I know at least five people who say Chucky scared them the most as a child, more than any other movie. And that's not rare. A lot of people are terrified of Chucky. Me, I think he's hilarious, and most of that is due to Brad Dourif's vocal performance. Dourif has played Chucky in all seven films, a mantle that will soon be passed to iconic voice actor Mark Hamill for the remake. But, before we get into the nitty-gritty of Child's Play, thanks for taking a little bit of time from your hectic day-to-day to treat yourself. This is Filmgasm, a horror movie podcast that aims to please... And I'm Connor Izagari, your ferryman into the bowels of the horror genre, a genre with endless content and not all of it good. You can visit Filmgasm.com for movie reviews, articles, and trailers. We update it daily, or at least we try to. Recently, I added some contributor bios so you, dear listener, can match names to faces. There you can read up on the four conductors keeping this fucking train a-rolling. Myself, Caleb Leger, Austin Johnson, and Josh Allred. The best around and nothing's ever going to keep him down just remember that i hope you enjoyed last week's weird shit wednesday on john wayne a true piece of racist human garbage who moonlighted as a cowboy not a lot of substance there but we hope you learned something for the upcoming episode 20 we're going back to the 70s and then briefly to the 90s we're talking about the legacy of the godfather franchise widely considered to be two of the greatest films of all time and one of the worst of all time Francis Ford Coppola took author Mario Puzzo's novel about an Italian crime family and turned it into pure movie gold. Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, Robert De Niro, James Caan, John Cazale, Talia Shire, Andy Garcia, and so many more iconic actors gave some of their best performances in this franchise, and we're going to dive into every aspect of production on all three films. Can't wait. Before we launch into the world of Chucky, we're almost there, I promise. Here's a little rewind. First up, a nifty little update on Filmgasm 1, The Shining. This past week, the teaser trailer for Mike Flanagan's new King film, Dr. Sleep, dropped, and it looks fucking fantastic. It stars Ewan McGregor as a grown-up Danny Torrance who is contacted by a young girl whose shine is the most powerful he's ever seen. It's a full-blown sequel to Kubrick's Shining, 
with the trailer showing off imagery from the original movie and even using Wendy Carlos's iconic theme. Considering how much Stephen King hated that movie, I wholly expected it to be ignored. But I guess he was convinced otherwise, somehow. Maybe Flanagan had a something to do with that. Maybe it was the studio. I don't know. But, you know, more for us. Am I right? Makes it even better. Now I'm, I was excited before, but now I'm really excited. Next up, a Quentin Tarantino update. He has finished his Star Trek script and is awaiting notes from the studio. He says, as of now, it is a hard R. He claims he will retire after 10 films with Star Trek being his grand finale. And I, for one, can't wait to see Samuel L. Jackson as captain of the USS Motherfucker blowing some Klingon brains out with his trusty sidearm all tuned to Sissy Strut. <laughs> Next up, an Amityville update. The producers of Get Out and Tag, two great films, are working on another Amityville movie, currently titled Amityville 1974. It will focus on the DeFeo murders and the evil spirit that Ronald DeFeo Jr. says told him to murder his family. Interesting change of pace. Judging by this franchise's track record, it'll probably suck. But, you know, we'll burn that bridge when we get to it. And finally, I got a nice twofer for you. A John Wayne update and a Roman Polanski update. Tied into one juicy bit of info that I discovered but forgot to include on the John Wayne podcast. So, in 1969... When filming on True Grit was ramping up, Mia Farrow was approached for the role of Maddie Ross. She turned it down after hearing from Robert Mitchum, whom she just worked with, that director Henry Hathaway was a goddamn nightmare to work with. So Farrow tried to lobby to get Hathaway fired and replaced by a director she was familiar with, namely, you guessed it, Roman Polanski, whom she just worked with on Rosemary's Baby. Her plot didn't work, and she'd later say turning True Grit down was one of the biggest mistakes of her career. And I disagree. I mean, <laughs> I guess it was a hit, but... I mean, people are going to remember Rosemary's Baby long after they remember True Grit. And also, you know, I doubt John Wayne was about to let a Polish guy direct his movie. Seems like something that racist piece of shit would have had a problem with. And that, that's it for the Rewind. And stay tuned for our new segment, This Week in Film at the end. And now, without further ado, let's talk about Child's Play. Child's Play was released in 1988 and was directed by Tom Holland. Not the kid who plays Spider-Man, but another older, wiser Tom Holland. Prior to this, his biggest success was 1985's Fright Night, quite possibly the greatest vampire movie of all time. And if you're a long-time listener, I'm talking at least a year back, way before iTunes and any sort of focus or a committed partner. You may have heard me gush about Fright Night back when I did the Horror Corner with Ashley on YouTube. Well, you can expect a fully fleshed out filmgasm for Fright Night that you can really sink your teeth into, pun absolutely intended. One of my favorites, Fright Night also starred Oscar nominee Chris Sarandon, who appears in Child's Play as Officer Mike Norris, the hero of the film. Sarandon was nominated for his role in 1975's Dog Day Afternoon, a nomination that I personally think should have gone to John Cazale, but that's for another time. Child's Play was written by Don Mancini, the brainchild of the Chucky franchise. He's been personally involved with all seven films, either as writer or director. Mancini claimed the idea came to him in college when he was studying as a film major. He was inspired by the nature of consumerism, mainly due to the Cabbage Patch doll craze of the 80s. Now, 
I'm too young to remember that, but I've heard from my parents that in the 80s, people lost their shit over Cabbage Patch dolls. It was the biggest toy ever. People were tearing each other's throats out in Black Friday for the fucking Cabbage Patch dolls. I don't... It's insane. And it was also inspired by the 1975 horror anthology film Trilogy of Terror and the classic Twilight Zone episode Living Doll, where we meet the original Chucky... Talkie Tina, a monster that makes Chucky look like a fucking Barbie. Talkie Tina was way, way scarier than Chucky ever was. Imagine Chucky without the sarcastic charm, and you've got Tina. Just this ball of pure evil trapped in a doll about two feet tall. Ugh, creepy shit. Child's Play stars Catherine Hicks as Karen Barclay, the mom who buys her son a good guy doll, who happens to be Chucky. Prior to this, Hicks had appeared in 1986's Peggy Sue Got Married and 1986's Star Trek IV The Voyage Home. After looking through her IMDb page, it looks like Child's Play was the last high-profile thing she really did. She mainly sticks to TV these days and kind of TV from like 1989 to now. And I've already talked about Chris Sarandon, one of my favorite actors who never really escaped the 80s, regrettably. He was also Prince Humperdinck in The Princess Bride, and the voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas. Not the singing voice, though. That was Danny Elfman. Alex Vincent plays Andy Barclay, Chucky's intended soul-swap victim for most of the franchise. Vincent appeared in Child's Play 2 as well before doing a handful of bit parts and taking a hiatus from acting until he rejoined the Chucky franchise in a special appearance in 2013's Curse of Chucky and a beefier role in the follow-up 2017's Cult of Chucky. The star of this franchise, though, is Oscar nominee Brad Dourif as Charles Lee Ray and the voice of Chucky. Dourif was nominated for his supporting role in 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, fantastic movie, and weirdly, he ran against Chris Sarandon in Dog Day Afternoon. They would both lose to George Burns for his performance in The Sunshine Boys. Dourif has stuck with this series the longest, and without him, Chucky wouldn't be half as iconic as he became. And you may also know Brad Dourif from his roles as Grima Wormtongue in The Lord of the Rings, Doc Cochran in the HBO series Deadwood, and Sheriff Lee Brackett in Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween remake and its sequel in 2009, among other things. He is very prolific. He's one of my favorite character actors. He's able to play both slimy pieces of shit and likable supporting characters extremely well. Guy's got hell of a range. The first Child's Play has an IMDb score of 6.6 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 67%. I gave it a 7 at the time, but a repeated viewing could definitely bring it to an 8. Regrettably, I was not able to watch all of these to prep for this podcast. I have seen them all, but not for a few years. Uh, except for the most recent one, Cult of Chucky, which I did watch finally to prep for this. I do want to go back and watch them again. I did enjoy them for the most part. And, you know, it's worth it. At the film's end, Chucky attempts to transfer his soul into the body of Andy Barclay, but Chucky is dismembered via a shit ton of bullets and finally shot in the heart, dead as a doornail. Or so we thought. Child's Play was such a hit that a sequel was a no-brainer. In 1990, Child's Play 2 was released, seeing the return of Brad Dourif and Alex Vincent. This time, Andy's mother is committed to a psych ward, and Andy is placed in foster care. Chucky, having been destroyed, has his pieces returned to the toy factory to be reused. 
He's molded into a new doll and goes after Andy once again. It co-stars Jenny Agutter, who portrayed Nurse Alex in 1981's An American Werewolf in London, and Christine Elise as Kyle, Andy's new friend and fellow foster teen. Child's Play 2 has an IMDb score of 5.8 and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 44%. I gave it a 7 as well. I think it's a decent follow-up. It's a lot more campy. The film ends with Chucky getting obliterated at the toy factory, never to be seen again. Or so we thought. Next up was the series' lowest point, in my opinion, 1991's Child's Play 3, where Chucky, having been revived yet again by the factory workers accidentally mixing his blood in with a batch of plastic for new good guy dolls, follows Andy, now played by Justin Whalen, to military school to steal his body. Once there, he gives up on Andy and begins to stalk another kid, young Tyler, played by Jeremy Silvers. And I think this film is the most forgettable entry, and I think the problem was that it was more of the same. The first three Child's Play movies all have pretty much the same exact plot. You know, Chucky comes back to life, Chucky tries to kill everybody around Andy, and tries to steal Andy's body. It has an IMDb score of 5.1, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 29%, And I give it a 5. The kills were cool, but that's kind of it. There's not a lot here. The film ends with Chucky falling into a giant fan that rips him to pieces, where he is finally destroyed for good. Or so we thought. Next up was 1998's Bride of Chucky, which introduced another crucial character to the Chucky story, Charles Lee Ray's old girlfriend Tiffany, played by Oscar nominee Jennifer Tilly. She was previously nominated for her role in 1994's Bullets Over Broadway. Tiffany bribes a cop to get Chucky's pieces and recites a voodoo incantation to revive him. She succeeds, though he is still a doll. When she belittles him for this, Chucky kills her human body by electrocuting her, then uses voodoo magic to transfer her soul into a bride doll. Now, both of them trapped in doll bodies, they seek a magic amulet that will help them put their souls into human bodies. The film co-stars Katherine Heigl, Alexis Arquette, and John Ritter. While the series was already campy, this was when they just started to make a comedy. Like, this was a straight-up horror comedy. Andy is all but abandoned. The Bride of Chucky has an IMDb score of 5.4, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 46%. I give it a 7. It's entertaining, it eclipses Child's Play 3, and it embraces just the weirdness of this franchise. The film ends with Chucky getting shot to death and Tiffany giving birth to a baby doll before dying herself. Shit is about to get weird. 2004's Seed of Chucky follows Chucky, Tiffany, and their doll son, Glenn, played by Billy Boyd. Glenn resurrects his parents and together they plot to steal the bodies of actress Jennifer Tilly and Def Jam rapper Redman. It's a weird movie that's pretty much comedy through and through. And it's not exactly a good comedy. Also in this movie, Chucky has the epiphany he should have had three films ago. Why is he still trying to be human? Life is way better as an immortal doll. Took him five films to figure this out. And Tiffany disagrees and successfully transfers her soul into Jennifer Tilly's body, who is pregnant due to voodoo magic. It has an IMDb score of 4.9, a Rotten Tomatoes score of 33%, I give it a 6. It's terrible, but in a fun way. It even has famous creepy director John Waters getting melted to death. How can you not enjoy that? The film ends with Chucky fighting Glenn to the death, 
as Glenn holds Chucky responsible for Tiffany, who Glenn believes is dead, her death. Glenn chops off Chucky's head, killing him for good. Or so we thought. There was a long hiatus between films at this point, and 2013's Curse of Chucky would be far darker and would abandon the Tiffany and Glenn bullshit in favor of a traditional, simple horror story about Chucky terrorizing a family. We don't even learn how he survived the end of Seed. He is sent to the home of paraplegic Nika Pierce, played by Fiona Dorif, Brad Dorif's daughter, and Chucky begins murdering her entire family as Nika tries to figure out why Chucky chose her family. It turns out back when Chucky was human serial killer Charles Lee Ray, he was in love with Nika's mother Sarah. He killed Nika's father, kidnapped Sarah, and stabbed her in the stomach while she was pregnant, resulting in Nika's handicap. This was the crime he was fleeing when he was shot in the first movie. Now he's back for revenge. Took him six films to go back to these guys, I guess. It has an IMDb score of 5.7, a surprisingly high Rotten Tomatoes score of 76%, and I gave it a 7. It's a very good return to form. Still has a few issues, but overall, decent effort. The film ends with Nika getting carted off to a mental hospital and Tiffany returning to get Chucky from the cops and mailing him to Andy Barclay, played by the returning Alex Vincent, who this time doesn't take any chances and blasts Chucky in the face with a shotgun the second he sees him, killing Chucky for good. Or so we thought. The seemingly final film in the Mancini era, 2017's Cult of Chucky, may just be the best in the franchise. It follows Nika Pierce at the mental hospital, having convinced herself that the events of Curse did not happen, and she was the one who killed her family. Chucky, being locked away in Andy Barclay's vault, uses a voodoo spell to split his soul into several different Chucky dolls so he can terrorize Nika in the hospital. It has an IMDb score of, I didn't write it down, I think it was like a 5.5 or something. Rotten Tomatoes score of 77%, again, really high. And I gave it an 8. I really liked this one. It was my favorite, possibly. It's, you know, (laughs) really for one big reason. Chucky fucking wins! He transfers his soul into Nika's body and drives off with Tiffany, finally getting what he's always wanted. And as a bonus, he gets Andy committed. What a fucking legend! Nobody goes out like that in a horror film. You know, Freddy doesn't win like that. Jason doesn't win like that. Michael doesn't win like that. Fucking Chucky wins like that. Took him seven films, but he went out on his terms. God damn. Mm-hmm. So that's the Child's Play franchise as it stands today. Before we talk a bit about the remake, here's some filmgasm facts about the franchise. Number one, Chucky's full name, Charles Lee Ray, is derived from the names of notorious killers Charles Manson, Lee Harvey Oswald, and James Earl Ray, the man who killed Martin Luther King Jr. Number two, The Chucky films have always been accused of inspiring violence in children. One case linked to the series was a gang in Manchester kidnapping and murdering a 16-year-old girl. While they tortured her, they forced her to listen to recordings of the gang leader repeating the catchphrase, I'm Chucky, wanna play. Director Tom Holland has always defended the first film from these accusations, stating that viewers of horror movies could only be influenced by their content if they were unbalanced to begin with. And I 100% agree with Tom Holland. Because I and a lot of my friends are huge horror fans. We've watched a ton of fucked up shit. And we've never, ever thought, let's go do that to somebody. We've never 
thought, let's go k- kidnap somebody and murder them in the street. That That's fucked up, and that's got nothing to do with horror movies. That is crazy people globbing onto something looking for an excuse. That's all that is. Do not blame the movie. Violence in movies does not incite violence in real life. Number three. The My Buddy doll line has never recovered from the first Child's Play movie. That was a real doll that kind of looked like Chucky that the movie was based on. And sales of that thing fucking dipped when this movie came out. Nobody wanted one of those things in their house. (laughs) Number four. In the opening scene of Bride of Chucky, Michael Myers and Jason's masks and Leatherface's chainsaw and Freddy Krueger's glove are all visible in the police evidence locker room, which kind of insinuates all this shit takes place in the same universe, which is a whole other podcast, but just imagine those implications. God, do you imagine living in a world where if you fall asleep, Freddy Krueger can kill you, but if you wake up, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, Leatherface, and fucking Chucky can kill you. (laughs) Nobody's safe anywhere. Number five, this is probably the weirdest one. There was a planned album of love songs featuring Brad Dourif and Jennifer Tilly singing as their doll counterparts Chucky and Tiffany. It's revealed in the movie commentary for, I think this was Bride, that Tiffany was to sing Killing Me Softly with his song, Chucky was intended to sing House of the Rising Sun, and the two were to share a duet of Hit the Road Jack. Come on, man. Why? Who the fuck's buying that? Who's buying Chucky's greatest hits? That's ridiculous. Ugh, reminds me of that time Freddy Krueger made a rap video. I think that happened. That might have been a dream I had, but I'm pretty sure that happened. Number six. In Seed of Chucky, Quentin Tarantino was originally offered the role that Redman later played, as the role was originally written for him in mind. Holy shit, that would have been beautiful. Quentin Tarantino getting possessed by Chucky. Oh my god. Would have been beautiful. Would have elevated the movie. <laughs> That's all for Film Guys and Facts. Now, this Friday, the Child's Play remake comes out, starring Aubrey Plaza as Karen Barclay, Gabriel Bateman as Andy Barclay, Brian Tyree Henry as Detective Mike Norris, and Mark Hamill as the voice of Chucky. And it appears that this time, Chucky is not a serial killer trapped in the body of a toy, but is instead the equivalent of Alexa with a knife. And... Not, I'm not sure how I feel about this, but I'm going to wait and see the film before I make judgments. Now, I will say this. He's not as scary as he could be. I'm just calling that right now. The idea of Google Home going ape shit, I don't, I don't think it's as scary as a serial killer with a mind of his own getting into your stuff. But, you know, maybe I'm off. Maybe they'll do a great job. Maybe it'll be a terrifying adaptation. Hopefully I'll see it this weekend, and we'll talk about it next week. And now, it's time for our new segment, This Week in Film. So, since the airing of the John Wayne episode, a number of interesting things have happened in the film industry. Now, I'm not covering everything. That would be impossible, not to mention boring as fuck for you guys. These are just a handful of things that caught my eye, just interesting factoids and tidbits that happened this past week in film. They've announced an animated Spice Girls movie is currently in production, with the original band members all voicing their respective characters as cartoon superheroes. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say my audience, small though committed, 
does not give a shit about the Spice Girls movie. <laughs> and, you know, I'm probably not alienating anybody there, because I know that thanks to Caleb and Josh, my audience is probably mostly Navy guys. So, thanks for that. Do you guys like the Spice Girls? It's okay if you do. I don't judge. I just think you're going to be the only dudes there in a sea of prepubescent girls watching the superhero Spice Girls movie. But, you know, forget I said anything. Please don't kick my ass. Um, Oscar nominee Sylvia Miles has died at 94. She was nominated for her roles in 1969's Midnight Cowboy and 1975's Farewell, My Lovely. Uh, I'm going to confess, I did not know who Sylvia Miles was. I appreciate her work, and I will, I'll check out her movies to the best of my ability. Especially Midnight Cowboy, that's been on my list for a long time. Uh, Oscar-nominated director Franco Zeffirelli has died in 96. He was most well-known for his 1968 adaptation of William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet, for which he was nominated for Best Director. I've seen that film, I had to watch it in high school when we did Romeo and Juliet, it was good. I mostly remember seeing a woman's ass on TV at school for the first time. We had to write, uh, we had to get permission slips signed for that movie. For like a brief scene, I was really underwhelmed. And the kid in that uh, who plays Romeo kind of looks like Zac Efron, and it weirded me out because that movie came out like 20 years before he was born. Uh, Next up, Todd Phillips has announced that his upcoming Joker film will, in fact, be rated R. Thank God. I'm really looking forward to Todd Phillips' Joker movie. I think Joaquin Phoenix is going to fucking kill it. And I'm glad that they're going through with a full, you know, heavy R. I mean, Joker's story can only be told rated R. I don't want to see no PG Joker. Next up, Suzanne Collins, author of the Hunger Games series is currently at work on a prequel to the series that has already been optioned for a film adaptation. So, more Hunger Games is on the way. Personally, I don't really give a shit anymore. I'll I'll admit I jumped on that bandwagon back in 2012 when the first movie came out. It was everywhere. People were calling it the next Harry Potter. People lost their shit over the Hunger Games. And I'm not proud of it, but I read the original... I read the first three books, or I guess the three books, to impress a girl... I liked the first two. I liked most of the third one. But I found them really kind of just underwhelming. I wasn't that into it. You know, I'm, I hate young adult dystopian future stories. It's always the same shit about some super government. And they're all wearing white. And there's some kid who's not like the rest of the kids. And they start a revolution. It's the same. I'm, it's Divergent. It's Maze Runner. It's all the same shit. I'm... I don't want to see another Hunger Games movie. I hope it bombs just so they'll stop. Uh, Next up, Max Landis, son of 80s director John Landis, has been accused of sexual assault by multiple women. And apparently he's a monster and a manipulator of women who has threatened uh, every girlfriend he's had. And if this is true, I hope he goes down hard. There is no place in the industry for pieces of shit like this who manipulate women to their own ends. And I'm very glad this is all coming out now. But weird that after John Landis' whole scandal on the Twilight Zone film, that his son would have a scandal of his own that would likely get him kicked out of Hollywood, too. At least as far as we know, Max Landis isn't responsible for anyone's death. And uh, this past weekend, both Men in Black International and Shaft 
have failed miserably at the box office and were met with critical backlash, both earning Rotten Tomatoes scores well below 40%. What a fucking letdown. I was looking forward to both of these, and now I don't care. You know, going to the movies is expensive. If I'm going to go see something, I want it to be good. You know, I saw Dark Phoenix last week, and I was fucking bummed out because it was a terrible movie. What a letdown. I, you know, I'm a huge X-Men fan. I really, really wanted to like that movie. I spent most of the movie convincing myself it was good, and I just had to admit it at the end. Like, that was not a good movie. I lost. But, you know, I guess I'll wait for DVD to watch Men in Black International and Shaft. So thanks for tuning in to learn about the films behind Chucky. I hope you had some fun here. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube or iTunes, I certainly won't stand in your way. Feel free to reach out via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email if you've got some questions, comments, or suggestions. We love feedback of all kinds. And next week is going to be a big one. One I've been looking forward to for a long time. With the release of Annabelle Comes Home, we're going to tackle the Conjuring franchise and talk a bit about the real-life case files of paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren. I'll walk you through all six films of the Conjuring franchise so far. The Conjuring, Annabelle, The Conjuring 2, Annabelle Creation, The Nun, and The Curse of La Llorona. All either amazing or decent films. I can't wait to talk about them. And Austin might be joining me on that one. I'm not going to make any promises, but he might be. So we'll find out. Keep on listening. Don't play with life-size dolls. And always believe your kids when they tell you their creepy doll tried to kill the babysitter. <laughs>